and the 27th was the 50th anniversary of the tornado that blew everything we had away. Probably the biggest lesson and learning experience that this Christian ever had. To have to start all over. And to wonder, working all day long every day, what in the world is God doing? But he brings to our remembrance what he said in his book that all things work for good for them that are called according to his purposes, not ours. And that every good gift and every perfect gift coming from above, even if it's a tornado. Because I learned in the six months that it caused me to study my word that God was behind that thing. It wasn't Satan. It was God. I learned in the book of Job that that Job had to learn that that tornado that killed his ten kids came from God. And there are whole denominations of people saying that God does not bring bad on you. Well, here's one sinner that knows he does. And that's the way he makes us better because of it. Something happened this week. And I won't ever be the same preacher that I was before. Maybe you'll notice it. A lot of things happen to folks that are called to talk out loud in front of other folks about God that move them along. I think about what Jesus said to Paul. It's hard to kick against the pricks, isn't it? The ox driver driving that ox with that sharpened stick. They would sharpen a stick, then they'd turn it in the fire until it got hard as steel. And they poked those ox from behind. They'd tell him what to do, and if he didn't do it, they stuck him with that sharp stick. And the ox that didn't want to be obedient would kick at the stick. And the ox driver said, I'm not poking him, he's poking himself. And that's what Jesus said to Paul. Look, it's you that's doing yourself the damage, not me. I'm just trying to guide you in the right place. There was a guy came in this church a few years ago and got through preaching. I knew, he, knew of him. I didn't know who he was. But he came up to me and he started talking and he said, you know, I've learned to separate my life, my religious life, and my political life from my business life and my personal life. Don't you believe that? Now, so I'm going to tell you something. When you've got Jesus, you don't separate him from anything. 
Because when Jesus is in you, it causes you to do certain things and to act a certain way, and you act that way everywhere. Sometimes you try not to to be conspicuous, but if Jesus doesn't affect you, then I'm wondering, do you have Jesus? Because he goes everywhere I go and does everything I do, and he's in every sound that comes out of my mouth. And that's the way he's supposed to be. And you can't do anything about it. He's personal. If you think salvation wasn't a personal thing to Jesus Christ, go back and read a few of those gospels some more. Jesus was giving you parables to teach you about the kingdom of God of things that happened every day in his life all around him. I had a conversation the other morning with my daughter, my youngest daughter. And she was telling me that as she got discernment, now she's a softball coach, for those who don't know her, South Alabama softball head coach. They've just got through with a year of playing with her softball team. And there's a thing, at the end of the year, there is a, 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 a code, a recipe, if you will, how they choose the teams that get to go to the playoffs. And it's a very complex thing. It's called an IPO. And I don't really understand everything. I know something about it, but I don't understand it like they do. But every college coach is very, very aware of every bit of a thing called IPO. Because that is what they use to decide which teams go to the playoffs. There are 64 teams that go to the playoffs. Her team had a good year this year. They didn't get chosen for the playoff. That's a big thing with somebody like her. I mean, it, in a coach's life, that's about everything. And in talking with her, I found out that of the 64 teams that were sent, they wound up number 65. Now, that's about as close as you can get without being there. That their score, now this is, they don't have judgment. They're not supposed to use judgment. They're supposed to use this score. And out of the score, they were two teams ahead of the last team. But the people on the committee chose to pick Notre Dame instead of University of South Alabama, even though the University of South Alabama had the best score. Several of the teams they chose to go to the final were teams that their team had beaten several times. Now she's telling me this and talking about what God taught her going through all of that. 
it really affects everything. All her, it affects how much money she gets because her contract is made with any kind of of year-end acclamation, whatever. They get paid extra. Her assistant coaches get paid. So it affects everything they do. When your life is about a contest and how well you do in that contest, that's the way it plays out. And she was telling me that they had worked so hard and that God was giving her discernment about things that happen in her life every day. She's learning stuff about how to think and about how, to, how he wants her to think and all this kind of stuff. And when he gives her discernment and she arrives at something, like we do, you're learning something all the time. God's opening your eyes more and more. It's called illumination. You get knowledge of God. And she says she had learned that when she gets illumination, God gives her information. It's followed always by, this is what you're doing to me. When she hears somebody make a bad statement, she says, God follows that by saying, this is what you're doing to me. And you need to change what you're doing. With all of that as a background for what I'm fixing to say, you'll see how it fits in. She says she learns that we as Christians make a lot of decisions that we ought not to make. And she heard one of her senior players make this comment. I wished that I had realized how important those first games we played of the season were. And she said, she asked God, I understand that. I see what, but I can't believe she made that statement. Who told her those early games weren't important? The coaching staff didn't. The university didn't. Where did they get the idea that some games weren't important to play? And she says, then it hit me. That's the way we as Christians do. God says, that's the way you treat me. You say to me, you said it to me, Lord, but I really didn't take it to be that important. And she said, this was a, this was a, a senior, a girl who played for her four years. Well, I took that as saying, I'm a little bit of a senior myself. I've been a Christian 71 years. How many things did I say weren't important at the time 
And I've lived my life as a result of that. And we went on with the talk. But I mean, I sat there in the front row of, and got a real sermon out of it. I learned a lot. From my baby girl. I remember her when we first got TV, flipping those three channels. You know, it was black and white, and it wasn't three channels. And I'd flip to another channel, and that little thing was sitting there in a chair alongside him and said, you don't want to see that, Daddy. I, I, I saw a preview of that. We don't want to watch that. She's still doing it. Both my children are. I changed my sermon on the strength of it. And my preaching will never be the same. God says, that's what you're doing to me. This is a personal thing. This is what you, the way you've been treating me. And I don't deserve it because I haven't treated you that way. If we had realized what we heard was that important, how would we have lived life, our life differently? And that's the message this morning. Turn to Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. I want to show you something. You've heard it. Nothing new. There's nothing new in this morning's sermon. Not at all. But there's some things I want to run by you. Because we're at a place now to where we don't have to imagine. We can see where we are. But there's some things you probably don't know. I started becoming aware of some of these things in 79 and 80 and 1981. And I saw what was happening. And it wasn't near as obvious then as it is now. Twelfth chapter of Mark, verse 28. Now Jesus is talking with the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious crowd of his day. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, he's been listening to Jesus talking with the Pharisees and the other scribes. He's listening to the conversation. And having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that Jesus had answered them well, asked him. See, they don't know who Jesus is. He's completely outside of their religious deal. Ask him, which is the first commandment of all? You've heard that preached before. But what he actually asked him is, which is the first in importance? Of all the commandments, everything you're preaching about God, which is the most important thing you're preaching? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments 
is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now that's a good point, but here's the thing and you need to understand. When Jesus first came to the earth, his orders were to preach to the Jews. He wasn't to preach to the Gentiles. You and me didn't have an opportunity to hear what he said. So he's talking to Jews and he's saying the most important thing is hear, O Israel, hear you Jews, what God is trying to say. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all their mind and with all thy strength. This is the most important or first commandment. And the second most important is like namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now hear me. We can accept this intellectually. That's not hard to understand. Love the God with everything you got. And the second thing is love your neighbor as yourself. You've heard it before. It's not new. If you've been around churches, you've heard it. If you've heard sermons, you've heard it. That is the most important thing God has to say to us as children of God. Love God with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's two things. Everything else is built on that. Now, the second thing. How important is the game we're in? The question the senior said was, I wish I had realized how important those first games were. Well, see, your score at the end of the year is added up by everything you do, every game you play that year. Every ball that is hit to you, every time you pick up a bat, it comes out in the end, in the, in the final score, how well you did. That's what everything is fixed upon. How important is the game? Turn to Matthew chapter 12, a few pages over to your left. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. Well, let's start with 35. It gives a little bigger picture. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. You get good things from good people, right? We all know that. And an evil man out of the evil measure bringeth forth evil things. You get good things out of good people. You get bad things out of evil people. That's something we can understand. He's a bad guy. You're not going to get any good advice out of him. <laughs> You've heard that. That's what he said. It's just real life. But I say unto you, verse 36, chapter 12 of Matthew, that every idle word that men shall speak, 
they shall give account of thereof in the day of judgment. When you come before God or Jesus at the great white throne judgment, or Jesus' judgment seat, not the great white throne, that's God's. But in Jesus' judgment seat, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Every idle word. Have you thought about that? How important is that? If every single word Joe Clark has ever said without thinking about it or stopping and studying about it, at the end, when I get before God, that's going to be brought up. Well, I was in a good mood and I just ran my mouth. I really shouldn't have said it, you know. No, no, that's going to be brought up. So how important is the game we're playing? I tell you, it's pretty important. It's more important than anything else in your life. It's more important than you showing up for your job come Monday morning. And everything else that's in your life, it's more important. We are in a very very serious situation as a child of God. Nothing is unimportant. Nothing is unimportant. Don't say at the judgment seat, I wished I had remembered. I'd heard that, but I wished I'd remembered and realized that it was as important as it was. Turn to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 11. In verse 2. How many times have I read this verse to, to all of us? To me. How many times did I run across it in a week over my studying? Paul tells the church at Corinth, chapter 11, verse 2, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul says, I have witnessed to you that you might become a Christian, and I have hooked you up with this man called Jesus. And the Bible calls us his bride, and he says, I want you to be a chaste, a moral, a pure bride for Jesus Christ. But I fear while I'm doing that, I have made that commitment to you and I've said, Jesus, y'all turn to Jesus and listen to Jesus and become a Christian. But I'm scared, Paul said, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, 
so your mind shall be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. There's no big deal. There's nothing complex. The lowest IQ person in the world can understand Jesus Christ. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have three, five, four, five, six degrees. You can understand it without that because it's simple. And anybody can. Anybody tell you, well, he's a real smart preacher. Uh-uh, don't you believe that? Because smart doesn't have anything to do with it. It's having God's ear and God speaking to your ear and saying, tell my people this. And the verse that we were given as a church when this church was first formed from Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, let no man spoil you with philosophy, with vain deceit after the traditions of men and the rules or rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Now those are the scriptures that I'm bringing to your mind for you to remember how important they are. Because the whole answer to everything on this earth is Jesus Christ. There's none other. He goes on here and talks about if they come to you with any other gospel, don't you believe it? That's how important it is. Now I'd like to show you something. And we'll go back to just what he said. It's in the third chapter of Genesis. I don't know whether you remember it or not. But it needs to be brought up. Please understand the setting here. God had just started this whole thing of men on earth, of humans. And he created one man, Adam. First time there was only one person, the population of the world was one. And he saw it wasn't good. So he created another one that was fit for the man, that was the woman. So the population of the world is two people. Just two. And Satan's already at work. <laughs> what were two people? God just God said, I've just started this thing. Why in the world is he after me now? I haven't gotten anything accomplished yet. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. That means he was trickier. Daddy called him slick. He was slicker than anybody. He could get by you with anything. Than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden? It's a question. He asked Eve. Did God say you shouldn't eat of every tree? 
And the woman said unto the serpent, but he wasn't a serpent at that time. Now he was the most beautiful angel that you've ever seen. Remember, he became a serpent after the curse. When he brought sin into the world, God put him on his belly on the ground. But before that, he was the best looking dude you've ever seen. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. God didn't say don't touch it. He said don't eat of it. She added to what God had said. God didn't say it to her. He said it to Adam. And Adam is the one that told Eve not to eat of the tree of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. But when she told Satan that, this good-looking thing standing there in front of her, she added something to what God had said. That's not what God said. But Adam had told her, and she just kind of interpreted the wrong way to to Satan. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Now look, people have said Satan lied to Eve. Satan didn't lie to Eve. He twisted it. That's the word iniquity, taking God's word and twisting it a little bit. What he said was, See, Eve was thinking, if I bite into that fruit, I'm going to fall over dead. That's not what God had meant, but Eve probably didn't know that. She assumed that's what was going to happen. But what God was saying, we know now from studying the scripture, he was saying you'll bring death on the earth by eating this fruit. By sinning, you'll bring death on the earth. You're not going to die from eating that one fruit. But you'll bring, people weren't created to die until Eve ate of this fruit. And now we all die. So he didn't lie to her. He just twisted it. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That's true. He was telling her the truth. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings of aprons to cover them up. Now let me tell you something. I've got written by my verse in my Bible in Colossians 2 and and verse 8, sidetracked. Let no man spoil you with the vain, with philosophy, vain deceit, traditions of men, are the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. 
also in a ball game. Hear me. Do you know what an error is? Do you know how an error is made? 99% of the time, the ball is hit to you. You're down ready to take the ball. The ball gets right within two feet of you, and you look at the runner to see where he is. And the ball takes a funny hop, and you don't catch it. That's called an error. You take the eye off the ball, and you make an error. That's the way Satan operates. He causes you to take your eye off the ball. You forget exactly what is the most important thing about all of this. It's called a distraction. I've got written in my Bible, sidetracked. Don't let Satan sidetrack you away from Jesus Christ. Don't let Satan as a ball player make you take your eye off the ball because you're going to make an error when you do. Satan did not tell Eve a lie. He took her eye off the ball. What did it say? And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, wait, 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 wait a minute, now wait a minute. God said don't eat of this because you'll die. What did she see? It didn't look good to eat. And that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took her eyes off of the important part and put it on something that was a distraction. And you know what she did? She made an error. Say, Adam did not take his eyes off the ball. When Eve walked up, people who walked with God glowed. They shined. Everywhere you saw that in the Bible, anybody's been with God, they glow like a light's behind them. When Eve walked up, Adam knew she, she'd been walking with God with him, and she didn't have a light on anymore. He knew she'd done something. And he chose to go with her rather than to go with God. He took his eye off the ball and he made an error. And since then, we've all suffered because of it. Now, saying all of that to say this, don't get distracted. Remember how important everything you've heard is. And sometimes we get so much information that it all gets to kind of be a blur and we forget what the important things are because they add up to your score too. Let me make a few statements that you have a way of verifying if you choose to do it or you can just 
understand or listen to me and what I've learned. I've learned it today that there are about two corporations in the world that own every business. And Satan's in charge of both of them. Every company, every business that amounts to anything is covered by two holding companies that are financed by the banks of Europe. There are two political parties, just to give you an example, in the United States. One of them is Republicans, one of them is Democrats. We got an idea that one of them is a good bunch and one of them is not a good bunch. But I'm telling you this, they're all politicians. Neither one of them are right. They're there to distract you into thinking, well, we won this time, but we lost last time. And no, no, that's a distraction. That's to take your eyes off the thing that are important, which is Jesus Christ. I learned early on in the 70s and the 80s that corporations, holding companies, are buying up little companies. The little companies that were started out by Christian people who are good companies who give you stuff like Word Publishing Company gave us our good music, our Christian music. All of a sudden you can't get Christian music from Word Publishing anymore. It's just trashy like the rest of it is. What happened? RCA bought them out and immediately changed them from doing scriptural stuff to doing the world stuff, satanic stuff. God proved it to me that first time with that. It's exactly what's going on, Joe. What the man is trying to tell you is true. World powers are after the control of you and me, ordinary citizens. That's what they want. They want to control you. And you can see in Washington right now how that group up there is trying to bring control over you. They are running to find somebody, ordinary people with a need, so they can give them a check so they'll owe them, so they'll vote for them and put them back in office. It's all the same plan. There's no different plan. It's all about Jesus Christ or Satan. One of the two. It's all. And as we said last week, there is coming a time, and it's getting closer. You can begin to see it now, where you will either take the mark or you won't be able to do business. Now let me give you an idea about that. You won't have electricity. They can cut your electricity off right now at your house without even come sending a guy out there with a truck. They do it from a satellite. And if you are not complying with them and, and voting for them and doing like they want you to do, they'll cut your electricity off. How many things do you have in your life today that you call a necessity that is run by electricity? What will you do without electricity? Without the mark, the Bible said, I read it to you last week, you won't be able to do business. You can't go to the store and buy groceries. 
without the mark of the beast. So what are you going to do for something to eat? Do you know how to grow stuff? Have you got enough land around your house to build a garden? You heard of cancel culture? <laughs> that is the act of them canceling you out because you don't do like they want you to do. And if you don't take the mark, they cancel you out. They take your city water. You got a well? You enjoy fruit? Can't buy it. You got where you can raise it? You'll have to if you enjoy it. What about vegetables? You enjoy vegetables? Can't buy them. You got a place to raise them? You know how? You better. What about meat? You enjoy eating meat? You gonna brew a big barbecue this weekend for Memorial Day? You better have a place where you can raise your own, kill your own, know how to cut it up and put it in the pan. You know how to do that? My grandfather knew how to kill and cut up meat. He did it every year. My grandmother knew how to walk in the backyard, get us kids to catch a chicken with this hook she had, and she'd wring its neck and eat it for, for lunch. I got two daughters, but I had to wring a chicken's neck and dress it and fry it, was starved to death. You have too. People talk about you hand a young kid a shovel today and tell him to dig a hole and he don't know how. You see what is going to be at play to get you to take the mark? Do you know our kids are going to take the mark in a heartbeat? But we can't live without it. You see what's going on? I can remember when my grandparents that lived in Drive Alley had a cistern. They caught water coming off the house. And the only water they had on the place was a cistern. It wasn't a well. It was a cistern. It caught water coming off the roof. And when you went there and got a dipper and dipped it in the bucket to get a drink, there were wiggle tails in it, maybe mosquitoes. Didn't hurt none of us. And you better not be caught spitting in the, in, the, in the cistern to see the ripples go out. Granddaddy would eat you alive. Now what I'm saying is this. Please help me get back to the place where I started if you are enjoying the luxuries you're enjoying and you live long enough, you won't enjoy them because you won't have them. 
Now let me ask you this. How will your kids and your grandkids handle that? What will it take to get them to take the mark? Have you wondered about Bud Light teaming up with the LBGT community? Well, are they stupid? Don't they want to sell their product? Sure they do. But don't they know that if they go after this little bitty part of the community, that you're going to quit buying them? Yeah. It's all one big outfit anyhow. It's not costing them any money. Well, why would they do something like this? For one reason, to get you used to being treated like that. To get you to say, oh, it's no big deal. To getting you acclimated to that kind of lifestyle so you won't turn away from it. It's all happening all around us to every one of us all the time. A paperless society. They bugging me every time they send me a bill. If you're sending a check, how about going computer so we won't have to deal with all this paper? Okay, let me ask you this. That chip that's in your forehead or on your, on your wrist that you're going to go to the store so you can do business, the mark of the beast. How far is that from a credit card? You have to dig a credit card up. You don't even have to worry about a chip. Buy what you want to buy. Takes the money out of your account at the bank. And we call that, man, that's the handiest thing I've ever seen. We're already talking about how convenient things are now. My grandkids are talking about it, how much easier it would be than it was when we were kids. Now let me tell you something, people. It hadn't been 150 years ago, 250 years ago, when people all got together and built somebody's house. When the neighbors all got together and built somebody's barn that torn down. Don't nobody do that anymore. When's the last time you heard all the neighbors call you and tell you to come down here, so-and-so's barn burnt down? We got to put his barn back up. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. The air conditioner and the TV has taken us off the front porch, out of communication with each other, with the front door shut, all the windows shut, can't hear nothing going on outside. And you don't think about them. You don't hear about them. You don't talk to them. You hardly know who lives next door to you. And it's all working to keep you from loving your neighbor as yourself.
That's what's going on. And that's how far we are down that road today. And it's already happening. And it's happening to all of us. How many of us have a garden, have a, have a plot of ground big enough for a garden spot? How many of us have a way of growing something to eat? Of, of a little pen with some hogs in it or cows in it or chicken or build a chicken house. Have you noticed that the people who seem to be the closest to Christ are moving out buying a little bit of acreage so they can have places for their kids to be raised? Come up, huh? We got a few of them in this place right here. Their kids have got more sense than two-thirds of the youngins in the whole country. Why? Because they're being raised to be independent. To be able to serve Jesus Christ without Satan having to provide us with everything he's providing us with right now. I'm just adding to what was last week. Didn't mean to run this long. But my message has changed. And you're going to be hearing about it. I hope you don't run me off. Because people need to hear this. This is God business, people. This is what God is trying to say, but that's the way you treat me. You have treated this, I've told you, from every time you've gone to church in Sunday school, from my book, I've told you, this is important. Don't get distracted from it. Come back to where it's supposed to be. Because the thing is, we're in the middle of a war. We live in the middle of a war. And the enemy is taking over. And the answer is Jesus Christ. And it's simple. Anybody can understand it. Don't get distracted. Stay on track. Let's pray. Father, teach us what's important. Don't let us get to the end of our lives and say, I wish that I had realized how important that part of the game was. Because if I'd have worked a little bit harder, we might have won that game. And at the end of the season, I'd be in the playoffs. Father, teach us. Make us aware of this. And make us listen to those discerning things that you're sending our way that we're not getting right now. And we'll praise you, Lord, and honor you and thank you for what you're showing us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.